Who says the Bible has to be boring? On the contrary, the Bible is the most thrilling book in the world. It's the only book with an invitation to join the very narrative you are reading. My goal is to be like your time-traveling tour guide, taking you into an exploration of scripture in search of precious treasure, timeless, life-giving truths that inform us of who God is, who we are, and how the story of everything really is His story. I invite you to join me as we learn to read the story, trust the story, and live the story, because there's no greater adventure than knowing the God of the Bible. I'm Brayden Brookshire, and this is Adventures in Theology. Have you ever heard certain phrases that when you hear them, it just doesn't quite sit right with you? You're like, hey, you know what? That might be a cliche or a trendy phrase going around right now on Pinterest, Instagram, or whatever. But for some reason, it's just like something is off there. Well, you may or may not be right, but the point is we should be thinking critically about these things. We, when we hear anything, for that matter, we should think critically. Not that we're trying to critique everything, but that we should have a lens and a way in which we think about things that helps us evaluate the veracity, the truthfulness of a claim, even if it's a claim or a phrase that a lot of people have accepted. And now, for today, I want to just, this is probably going to be a pretty quick episode compared to some of the other ones, but I I thought it was worthwhile enough to uh, suggest why we should abandon a phrase that I hear really often, and you might too. The phrase goes like this, everything happens for a reason. Have you heard that before? Maybe recently you've heard that before. And I think we need to abandon the phrase, this phrase, everything happens for a reason. First off, just first and foremost, I think it's the times it's been told to me and I've heard it said to other people, it's usually said in very insensitive situations. I don't, if anyone happens to be listening and you uh, have wielded this phrase uh, toward myself or towards other people, don't take this as a way of like, you know, backlashing or anything against that. I just think that we need to think about the kind of things we're saying. You know, are we saying it just because we're saying it? Or are we saying it because we really believe it? And the second one's even more dangerous. The first one is just as frustrating. Do we say things just because we've heard it tossed around? And then we're like, oh, yeah, 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 that sound uh, okay. But Or do we say things because we deeply believe it? In that phrase, everything happens for a reason, often is said in situations where someone is experiencing frustration, pain, a really difficult life circumstance, and they're trying to either make sense of it or trying to get through it. And then a person says to them, hey, you know what? Everything happens for a reason. As if that is going to bring like the console that the person needs. But that, that, that doesn't always, does that always correspond with reality? As, okay, so obviously this podcast comes from a biblical Christian point of view. So through a biblical Christian lens, when we hear that phrase, everything happens for a reason, do we actually think that is a correct way of addressing situations? Well, I'm going to give a very dramatic uh, example, but let's just, just go with it here, okay? I, gosh, I hate this example, but it helps the point. Like, you know, when you hear about a tragedy like, so a woman being raped or uh, uh, someone being killed in cold blood or, you know, whatever dramatic, sad, but real situations 
we face in this world and hear about, if we were to respond with everything happens for a reason, not only would that be insensitive, that wouldn't quite be true. Now, here's the problem. Here's the problem. The phrase everything happens for a reason implies fatalism, which I'm not going to get too philosophical on you today. I'm really not. But in fatalism, first off, which was a pagan idea, it's this idea that everyone's destiny will fall into place like no matter what. So everything happens happens for a reason. It directly expresses the worldview of fatalism that there's nothing you can really do to change your destiny. So kind of accept it. Accept what the, you know, since it was pagan, what the gods have written in the stars that cannot be changed for you. Accept it and embrace it. Wait a second. That's so wrong. And when you hear the context of kind of the worldview and perspective that it comes from, you, it's easy to say, uh, yeah, we don't agree with that. <laughs> that's not true. But that's where that kind of thinking comes from. Everything happens for a reason cannot be upheld apart from a fatalistic worldview. But that's not the biblical position. Now there's, I was talking to my wife about this and she found this to be a, a very good, helpful distinction. And I'm not the originator of this phrase, uh, but it's thrown around a lot in uh, theological academic discussions. But I think it's helpful even for the average layperson to hear. There's a big difference between God's perfect will and his permissible will. I want to make sure you catch that. There's a difference between God's perfect will and God's permissible will. His perfect will is what he desires and that which is in accordance with his character. That's what's perfect. Like, ah, like I designed it to be that way. And when things are functioning that way, when people are being that way, when life is going that way, like, yeah, that's part of God's intended plan. Maybe that's another, another way of saying it. God's perfect will is in accordance with his design and intended plan. Now, a great passage that comes to mind is 2 Peter 3.9, which says, The Lord does not delay in his promise as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Now, of course, in context, Peter has an argument he's building here and making a case for, uh, and, and the shorthand of that is just simply that, uh, you know, the reason why uh, Jesus hasn't returned yet is because God is using this time to extend his mercy. And that's, that's a wonderful thing. So he's not slow to fulfill the rest of his promises that aren't fulfilled yet. This is a time in which he wants people to repent, to come to know him, to, re to receive the mercy and a gift of his grace. Absolutely, amen. But part of that then is that he's permitting things to happen in this time period. Now, part of his perfect will and his desire is that all would come to repentance. But what we know to be true is that not everyone does. Not everyone does come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And that's a sad thing, and it breaks my heart. And part of my life's mission is to... Uh, see how many people I can talk to and uh, demonstrate and uh, reason with to come to know Jesus as Lord. But yeah, so if it was his perfect will, everyone would. Now, wait a second. This kind of brings up a theological conundrum. Does God's perfect will not always happen? Well, no. And as, as troubling as that might sound for us, uh, the reason why God's perfect will doesn't always happen is because people have the freedom of choice. And we often throw around the phrase free will. And I don't have too much of a problem with that phrase. I have some minor discrepancies, but I'm going to restrain those, okay? Because I think free will is a helpful enough phrase. And, but, you know, it, it just comes down to us having choice. We have volition. 
We have a volitional will that God has permitted as creatures, as people, as people made in his image and valuable. And I want to talk about that more in a second. So I'm going to come back to the idea. But the reason why God's perfect will doesn't happen, his designed intended plan is because people have the freedom of choice. And now he wants everyone to come to know him. But that requires choice. We'll come back to the idea, okay? So hold that thought. Uh, So now his permissible will, let's just quickly touch on that. God's permissible will is what he allows because he honors the volitional will we have. We have the ability to make choices. And now what's really important to remember is what happened at the fall in Genesis 3 when sin entered the world, when Adam and Eve took from the forbidden fruit, which so much to unpack there, which we don't even have time to at this very second. But what they did there is they essentially sought to have autonomy apart from God. And then in a more late-term phrase, they sought to have their identity apart from God. And, and so putting us with Adam and Eve, we basically were saying to God, we can order the world and rule it better than you. We don't trust you. You see, that's how the relationship was broken. Not because God broke relationship with us, but because we broke relationship with him. And how did it happen? Through a choice, through our will, through our volition. Through that a very thing that God gave us, the ability to make choices to love him, to receive his love, and so to choices to receive his love and choices to give love back to him and to be in that relationship where our choice is used in accordance with a design and intended plan to love and to love to be loved and to love, to be known and to know God. But when that's abused, when you take the bad side of choice, then that's what you get. What you get is the brokenness of it all. And that's part of God's permissible will. He's like, well, the, a lot of the things I hear people complain about against God, you know, I don't like that God allows this or that or whatever, not always, but usually is a very simple fix when we just realize that, uh, that we ha- the reality that we have the ability to make decisions and choices. And this is something we celebrate. Isn't it something we celebrate that we're not robots? Isn't it something that we celebrate that we have that capability, that right, that dignity that God made us with? Now, it's important to say, just because God permits things to happen does not mean that he prefers those things to happen. It often breaks his heart. Just because he permits things doesn't mean he prefers those things, obviously. Not everything goes according to his perfect will. Sometimes it's, that, that, and by the way, like I think that's going to cause some problems with some listeners here. Like, wait a second, his perfect will isn't accomplished. We already talked about that. But yeah, I don't think God's perfect will is accomplished in that sort of respect. Now, I guess you can dice it up even more than the perfect will and permissible will. It's just a pithy way of thinking about it. So don't read into it too much. Because of course, at the end of the day, God has the final word. He is the final will. He gets to decide how things go at the end. And uh, I've read the end of the story. The story's good. The story starts good and the story ends even better. We talked about that a little bit in our Reimagining Heaven series. So if you haven't listened to that whole series, I highly encourage you to. It's uh, oh, really good. But uh, no, um, I, I think it's important to re- remember if we're talking about God's perfect will, although he desires everyone to come to know him, that requires giving people a choice to receive what he is offering or to reject it. That's just, that's the nature of love. 
You can't have love without choice. I couldn't approach my wife, Ariana, well, before she was my wife, and just say, hey, uh, you're going to marry me, and you're going to love me. I could, in some cultures, you can force marriage, either in a, a familiar way in which the family sets up an arranged marriage based on what would be a designed a good fit, or uh, in more barbaric cultures of ancient past, where you'd conquer someone and you would take someone to be your wife, and you'd force that to happen through well, physical force to someone to become your wife or whatever. But uh, what you can't force is love. The emotion and the action and the reality of the essence of love. You can't force that. That has to be a choice. And that's what's pretty incredible about the God of the Bible is he offers it. He desires to give love, but he gives you the choice. Do you accept this? Do you want this? I want you to have it, but I can't force you to have it. And so that's why God's perfect will doesn't always play out like what we'd expect. So God does have the final word, of course. Yes, everything ends up going according to uh, his redemptive plan. At the end of the day, he will stamp out evil and uh, usher in the new creation. Again, all this is referencing the Reimagining Heaven series, so you got to go listen to that if you have any questions about what the heck we just skimmed over with that. But I think you get the point between the perfect and permissible will and uh, to not read into that too much beyond its constraints of what's trying to communicate. So uh, while not everything is good that God allows to happen, God is working all things toward an ultimate good. And Romans 8.28 um, is a, a great passage for this. Uh, you know, it says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. And now, of course, again, this passage, like anything that we proof text, has a context that it's communicating. And in Romans 8, uh, you know, Romans 8, 18 starts off by talking about how uh, no amount of suffering that we're going through right now compares to the glory that is coming to us. And he unpacks this uh, redemptive purpose that God is uh, unfolding and how that the glory of God and the plan of redemption is set in motion and is going to be so much greater than any of the suffering we face now. And guess what? The Apostle Paul had uh, the right to write about such things because of the suffering he faced. Usually is not going to be anything close to what we face today. It's far more. So for him to write that, he writes with credibility in that area. But his point, you know, is, yeah, like, while everything's not good, like, I don't think Paul would call it good that, you know, suffering and evil is happening. He's saying, well, that, that doesn't mean that it's stamping out the good that God is doing in the midst of that. Because God has to work with a fallen, broken world in which people have choices, in which the fallen, broken world was, uh, became a fallen, broken world because of bad choices and choices that were against him and antithetical to his design and intention, God is still using all things to work together toward an ultimate good. This doesn't mean that we're to make light of the suffering we face, but instead of saying everything happens for a reason, we should rest assured that everything is working toward a resolution. God holds history. And while some things that happen may be a mystery, yeah, I'll raise my hand with you. That, uh, plenty of things I feel like that. I don't always have the best explanation to that. We have to remember that human free will is a gift from the divine lover. Love can never be forced. It has to remain a gift and a choice to be responded to, as we already said. 
So I, I really think we should abandon the phrase, everything happens for a reason. Instead, let us remember that God has a design, we have a right to make decisions, and destiny is not left up to fate. Destiny is the sum total of our decisions. If we choose to trust God with our volition, it does not guarantee an easy life or a successful life or uh, whatever you want to paint it out to be. But it does guarantee a meaningful life and of the promise of life beyond the grave. If you read the Bible cover to cover, and you watch the life of the disciples and the apostles of Christ, uh, they didn't have an easy life. Most of them ended in what a lot of us would call tragic deaths. That's not how they would have viewed it. They would not have viewed their lives as a tragedy that ended with suffering and evil winning. And But I don't think they would also use the phrase, everything happens for a reason. I think they would rather point to how Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Lord incarnate, has come as the resolution to all the pain, the problems, the brokenness, and the mess that we witness in the world around us. So in summary, we can say that, you know, the phrase everything happens for a reason is not an accurate portrayal of the biblical Christian worldview. It better reflects in a pagan kind of uh, fatalistic worldview on life in which our decisions are capricious and uh, don't really have the power to change uh, our future at all. And oftentimes we even forget to take responsibility for the decisions we make. Sometimes we want to rather just put it off that everything happens for a reason is an excuse for what we're going through, where sometimes it's our own decisions. We're not a victim always to other people's decisions. Sometimes we are. But sometimes also we are the, the very person responsible for the very things we're going through. So you know everything happens for a reason. Well, sometimes that reason is because you made a bad choice. Sometimes that reason was you didn't get that job because you weren't the best candidate. Sometimes that reason wasn't because uh, God was against you or that God was overly for you as opposed to him being for someone else. So I think we need to abandon this reason altogether and say this is not a good phrase accurately reflecting things. After all, God has given us the power and ability to make decisions. And with that honor, we get to decide if we're going to make decisions that are in accordance with his design and intention as revealed in his character, in the person of Jesus and in the, the Bible's revelation, or if we're going to make decisions that dishonor, not only dishonor him, but dishonor ourselves since we're made in his image. We have the power to make decisions on those things. We are not left up to fate. God has given us the choice the choice to respond to him, and the choice to make a better and uh, lasting impact in the world around us. And with that, I'm going to conclude for today. And I hope this has been helpful in thinking through certain phrases that we hear often. Thank you for joining us today. We'll see you next time on Adventures in Theology.